I would like to give thanks to the ancestors, known and unknown, those who have paved the way for us to survive this moment of time and to have a reference point to use as a blueprint to deal with these hellish times we are living in. I would also like to give honor and reverence to the woman of the universe for your superior work, for bringing forth the spiritual information through the triple stage of darkness of your womb and giving birth to God. We would like to give reverence to the universe and praises to the indigenous. My name is Raheem Shabazz and this is Necessary Blackness Podcast. Necessary Blackness Podcast, every Wednesday at 6 p.m. with award-winning journalist and filmmaker Raheem Shabazz. This podcast is only for those who are unapologetic because the mind of the conscious man or woman recognizes no monopoly on truth. Truth is relative and always to be sought. Yo, check out the award-winning docuseries Elementary Genocide. This docuseries provides a critical expose of mass incarceration, the war on drugs, and the connection between slavery, capitalism, and the prison industrial complex. This docuseries features Dr. Umar Johnson, Dr. Boyce Watkins, Dr. Francis Cress Welsing, Killer Mike, David Banner, Professor James Small, Kaba Kamene, and so many other people. Check out Elementary Genocide, the school to prison pipeline, Elementary Genocide 2, the Board of Education versus the Board of Incarceration, and the latest installment, Elementary Genocide 3, the Academic Holocaust. It's all available now at elementarygenocide.com. Tune in for the drop. I am Dr. Kira Taylor. And when I'm tired of listening to fake news, I will listen to some real news and I will check into the Necessary Blackness podcast with my friend Raheem Shabazz. Raheem Shabazz is one of my guys from way back and you're now listening to his show, Necessary Blackness Podcast. Stay tuned. This is a cool up cultivated roots media and I choose to tune into Necessary Blackness because staying connected to my blackness is very necessary. Yo, that's what I'm talking about, man. You'll hear it here first. <laughs> now our feature presentation. Peace and Black Power family, this is your host Raheem Shabazz and we are here for another episode of Necessary Blackness Podcast and today I have a special guest in the building. Today our special guest is Iyapo Moyende Ngina and she is an organizer for 18 plus years and she has cut her teeth in political organizing inside the Yahuru movement. Within this organization she wore many hats, wellness coordinator, international membership coordinator, host of the talk show Colonialism is Bad for Your Health and much more. She completed 10 years of medical school with a BS in alternative medicine, a BS of Western health scientists, master in traditional Chinese medicine and acupuncture, and associates in massage therapy. Now, Iyapo has been working on two books, The Worker's Guide to Revolutionary Health and Reduced to Crazy. Now, Iyapo, how you doing, my sister? I'm well and glad to be here this evening. Thanks for having me. Oh, absolutely. Last time we was together, we was at the first annual African Sovereignty Summit 
in Tampa, Florida, and that was a very monumental moment. You was the organizer, and you have brought me in. For those that don't know about this event, tell me what was your initial conception behind the event and why you felt it was important to have this particular event. And I know that it's annual, so we are going to have more. So can you give me a little insight about that? Sure. So for your listeners who may not know who I am, um, I've been an organizer since about 2000, a little before 2000. And in that period of organizing from 2000 to present day, you can see kind of like the ebbs and flows of what is categorized as the black power movement or the black consciousness movement. And it's had ups and downs. And as an organizer, especially outside of political organization, as you stated before, I was in the Uhuru movement for about 12 years. And subsequent to um, making, you know, parting ways with that organization, I've been hiring myself out to different organizations to organize their events. And one of the things that's become very apparent is a lot of people who are coming into political life, who are coming into African consciousness, have not had the benefit of coming into African political life the same way that I did, which was through the discipline of a veteran organization. And it's problematic because it creates this void in how they do work, how they solve problems. It's like starting from scratch when you have veteran organizations all around who can give you the tools and the methods to solve these problems without starting all over and so that was one of the things that I had observed. And two was this ability to bridge gaps across political ideologies. What I mean by that is when I was inside the Yahoo movement, one of the issues that I observed is this kind almost like political arrogance or political elitism. We have our line. And if your line doesn't match up with our line, then we can't mess with you right? We can't deal with you. We can't organize with you. And I feel like there has to be some kind of point of unity because there's more than one road that leads to liberation. And we have to, we have to get out of our own way as organizers. So what I wanted to do with the African Sovereignty Summit, um, and I'd been organizing in Tampa for a number of years. So what I wanted to attempt to do was to continue in the same line of work or the same uh, style of work of uh, Marcus Mosiah Garvey. So it was the first annual African Sovereignty Summit, and the subtitle was Fulfilling the Legacy of the Works of um, Marcus Mosiah Garvey. And Garvey had some of the same issues that we're confronted with today, a hundred years ago, but they were at best um, secondary contradictions. They were not the primary issues. And all of the work, all of the programs, all of the institutions that Garvey built centered around what he saw were the core issues and institutions that had to make up a sovereign nation. That was control of our image in the world, media. It was health. It was security. It was economics. And it was education. And his program did not stray outside of those five fundamental issues that if you have control over those areas of your life as a group, then you can begin to really 
establish a sovereign nation. Now, all those other issues that we may have doesn't mean that they're not important, but are they the foundational basis for the institution of a sovereign nation? So the Sovereignty Summit was about us closing ranks, focusing our energy and focusing the work in a way that can actually win something for the group. Very well put, my sister, very well put. And I love how you spoke about the line of unity that must be realized with every organization that is engaging in this political struggle. Because politically, we are struggling around some of the same issues. And it doesn't matter what organization we are a part of, because we can have our differences in belief. But we all got to center ourselves around one thing that we believe in, and that's the unity and the liberation of African people. Yes. And once we establish sovereignty, then we can come to the table and debate those things that we might see as secondary issues for the group. You understand what I'm saying? Absolutely. But once you establish an independence, a sovereign nation, that is the area that you can begin to resolve, you know, what I see are like minor contra because let me tell you, the UNIA was founded at around the same time as the beginning of the Harlem Renaissance. Mm-hmm. And I never read anywhere and I've never heard a speech that Garvey made about homosexuality being one of the major issues inside the black movement. He never said homosexuality was destroying the movement or anything like that. But we know now that there were many open black homosexuals during the Harlem Renaissance. And I have to imagine that it was not something that was seen as primary to the struggle and the liberation of African people because all of his programs centered around sovereignty, land acquisition, owning your own institutions, your economic institutions, solidifying security in your own communities, so on and so forth. Now, if you control the media right which is one of the things that he addressed with the uh with the negro world if you control your image in your community and your image to the world then now the media becomes the tool with which you can address these very issues <clears throat> excuse me these issues such as homosexuality and the impact that it has on the african community but it can't but you see the difference that i'm talking yeah, about yeah absolutely is the issue um black homosexuality as much as it is not controlling our image in the world and being able to use the media the same way our opposition does because the media is the nonviolent arm of the state. And you also got to realize this, right? When you look at any overthrow of government, the first thing they take control of is the media. You would think, a lot of people think, oh, they take control of the banks. Oh, they take control of the weapons. Nope, it's the media because with the media, that is the propaganda tool of an army. How you communicate ideas to the world and how you shape people's thinking. There is no independent thought in this country because we are in a heavily politicized, propaganda-led state. The state is the thing that convinces us that somehow we're inherently bad and white people are inherently good. Hmm. And that's why the police harass us. It is the the nonviolent arm of the state that has us still calling the police, even though we know the outcome never benefits us. And speaking of Marcus Garvey, one of the fascinating things about the story of Marcus Garvey actually happened 
before he was born. And there was, I don't want to say it was an argument, but it was a disagreement between his mother and father. One believed that he would be a savior and lead his people like Jesus and save his people from political, social, and economical and spiritual bondage. And the other believed that he would lead his people like Moses. So they was conflicting on what they would name him. And then they decided to name him Mosiah. So that's a little history for y'all. This is Necessary Blackness Podcast. I am Raheem Shabazz, and I am sitting here with our special guest, Iyapo. And we're getting ready to go to a quick commercial break, and we'll be back. And when we come back, we're going to talk to Iyapo about colonialism and how it's bad for your health. So y'all stay tuned. Necessary Blackness Podcast, Raheem Shabazz. Peace, family. This is Tyreek from Nagas Footwear, the first African pride sneaker. We have the Nat Turners, the Marcus Garvey's at sneakerscustoms.com. Stop on over, get your sneakers, and stride with pride. Elementary Genocide provides a critical expose of mass incarceration, the war on drugs, and the connection between slavery, capitalism, and the prison industrial complex. Visit our website at www.elementarygenocide.com. Now available, Elementary Genocide, the school-to-prison pipeline. Elementary Genocide 2, the Board of Education versus the Board of Incarceration. And the newest release, Elementary Genocide 3, Academic Holocaust. Log on today to purchase your very own three-set docuseries. Necessary Blackness Podcast is independently owned, and we do not accept sponsorship dollars from corporations. We are supported by the people such as yourself who know that in war, the first casualty is the truth. We are at war with racism and white supremacy. We must continue to tell the truth. Support us by purchasing your Necessary Blackness t-shirt by sending an email to necessaryblacknesspodcast at gmail.com. This is Shirley. When I'm not in the gym, I'm checking my son out on his podcast each and every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Make sure you check out Raheem Shabazz. Yeah, this is Professor Ed Garns, founder of the wonderful From Afros to Shell Toes and Sweet Tea Ethics. When I am not spreading liberation theology throughout my classrooms as an African-centered therapist, I am chilling with my homie, Raheem Shabazz, on the Necessary Blackness Podcast. It's essential. Yo, that's what I'm talking about, man. You'll hear it here first. Okay, we are back from our commercial break. And for those that are just joining us, I am sitting here with our special guest, Iyapo Moyende in Gina. How you doing, sister? I'm well. Excited to be here on Necessary Blackness. All right. Now, I want to talk about colonialism is bad for your health. Because that's going to be the title of this podcast. Now, what is it about colonialism that's bad for your health? Because colonialism is bad for you spiritually, mentally. And I know spiritually and mentally is health as well. Mm -hmm. But can you get into the particulars for us? Okay. So as a part of my work um, inside the Yahoo movement, I was the coordinator, the overall coordinator for our wellness program. 
So we had a gym, we had a health food store, and then we had a wellness program. We did free seminars and newsletters. And the overall objective for that piece of work uh, through our nonprofit was to deal with the so-called health disparities that black people in particular are confronted with in this country. Some of the statistics are, you know, very poignant. Um, Black men between the ages of 24 and 35 years old in this country have the highest instances of high blood pressure of any group of people on the planet Earth, right? And so, unfortunately, the way medical professionals, scientists, statisticians put forward this information, it makes us turn in on ourselves as if we have some inherent weakness in being black that makes us, quote, predisposed to some of these conditions, diabetes, high blood pressure, cancers of several types, our um, our outcomes are not as positive as other people. So what is it about blackness that makes us so-called predisposed to these conditions? And my, my estimation that it wasn't a predisposition to disease as much as it was our social conditions, which leave us at a certain level of powerlessness in this country are the con- the primary contributing factors to our health outcome or our disease presentation. So in layman's terms, it's the society that we currently live in and are acculturated in that have much more to do with our disease outcome or our disease presentation than just whether we eat swine or not or whether we have a drink on the weekends or not or whether we smoke a black and mild. And so... Because what you're talking about in, at the core of this thing is you are talking about people who have contributed a genetic, a superior genetic gene pool to everybody on the planet. But everywhere we go, we are sick. We are dying. We are not well. And it's not because it's not solely because of what we eat or what have you. So, for example, one of the things we hear a lot here in this country, especially in the South, is, well, you know, my mama ate swine, my bit mama ate swine her whole life, and she lived to be 102 years old. Or my bit papa took a shot of whiskey and smoked a cigar every day of his whole life, and he lived to be a healthy 99. Not no more. And so the problem is, and the reason not no more is, is because, one, when our grandparents or our great-grandparents were alive, economically we may not have been, uh, you know, necessarily flourishing, but we lived in our own communities. We lived, we went to our own schools. We lived almost in these separated societies that allowed us to not have to be continuously daily living with the microaggressions of being around white people all the time and the daily stressors of living in white society. So now, fast forward to the future, we see all this stuff on TV and what have you that tells us that everything is great because we let y'all date our white girls now. But our day-to-day interaction with the white world has us so stressed out. And we say stress, but it is not a, it's not an esoteric concept. It is a very chemical and biological concept. Every stressful moment you have shortens your immune system or shuts down your immune system for seven days. So every time you have a road rage experience, every time somebody looks at you cross in the the store thinking you're going to steal something, you've shortened your immune system. So all of that to say is the concept of colonialism is bad for your health, which was the health show that I did within the context of my um, participation in the Uhuru movement, was about politicizing our health issues. 
that they are not separate from our condition as colonized people. And colonization means we were taken forcibly from one place that we called home and moved to another and forced to work against our will. And even though we are still here and we're not, quote, enslaved, the conditions are such that keep us from acquiring complete and total independence, political independence. So as a colonized people, we don't have the kind of power to resolve a lot of the issues that we're talking about socially or economically or politically because we do not control the power of the state. Mm, mm. And you know what? That's very profound that you said that, right? Because as a colonized people, you know, we seem to be at the mercy of our oppressors. Yes. And the only thing different between a person that's asking and a person that's begging is the tone of your voice. Yes. And right now, our voice is very, very silent, especially on a lot of pertinent issues. And you mentioned about us being in spaces and being treated a certain type of way. What do you think about what's going on today where if you're caught sleeping while you're black, Yes. If you're in a store while you're black, yes. if you're working at a job while you're black, yes. just your mere presence of being black, yes. these colonizers yes. that come and gentrify neighborhoods that we've been occupying for mm-hmm. years are now calling the police. Well, the problem, again, is this, is that without a mass political understanding of what the hell is happening to us, we will always come to the wrong conclusions. Uh, You know, everybody, I think we've all seen these 10,000 memes that people have been making about the white woman that called the uh, police on the family that was barbecuing. Yeah, absolutely. And some people have made, you know, a good assessment about why that happened, that it wasn't just some random white woman being some random gentrifier that, or some random white woman, having an attitude about black people being a part, but it was a, it was a part of a greater plan that's happening in the Oakland area, which is a bar, uh, which is about gentrifying, which is about the theft of land, the theft of property and creating a hostile environment that always has the police in conflict with black people to justify the theft of the land. So again, these kind of microaggressions. And, and the problem is, is I think for those of us who are politically, quote, conscious or aware, I think that in general, we haven't done enough to rapidly politicize the masses of our people so that they understand what the hell is happening to them when these kind of events or occurrences take place, that they don't just take it lightly or what have you. The other thing is is we have to be winning the masses of African people to political sovereignty and independence. That without that worldview, we will always be victims of this society. And so in the context of health, colonialism is bad for your health. And the show was a really wonderful show. I had many, many guests on the show who, you know, talked about policies. This stuff is not ambiguous and it's not conspiracy theory in place policies that are set to guarantee the shortening of our lifespan that are set to guarantee that our outcome is always way worse than uh than our white counterparts regardless of whether we're wealthy black people or poor black people right one of the shows that i did talked about 
why it was that even affluent black women, wealthy, educated black women were still two times more likely to die in childbirth and their babies were three times more likely to die before their first birthday than their equally situated white counterparts. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, because, you know, again, this society uses statistics to beat black people over the head where their health is concerned. Well, if you Negroes would just stop eating pig, then all of your problems would be solved. Or if you Negroes would just stop going out and drinking on the weekends, you wouldn't have kidney disease. And so we begin again to turn in on ourselves thinking that it's some kind of inherent weakness in our blackness that has us victims of these diseases and these conditions. And that's not to say you shouldn't clean up your diet, you know, or reel in your, you know, your little habits. However, it is not the primary issue. And in the field of medicine that I am in, one of the things that we learned early on, and it's not just Chinese medicine, most indigenous medicines around the world say the same thing. But in Chinese medicine, we say that there are only two causes of all chronic disease, only two, from the beginning of time to the end of time. Those two causes for all chronic conditions, first is unresolved emotional trauma. Second to that is improper food and drink. Second to that is improper food and drink. And even in African holistic health and Ayurveda, they say that every single chronic disease has an emotional origin, an emotional beginning. See, so that's where we miss the boat. So the first book that you mentioned that I'm working on is um, called The Worker's Guide to Revolutionary Health. And the reason I started writing this book was because I especially having gone to alternative med school, began to see some very serious weaknesses in even how black practitioners were understanding disease progression, disease manifestation or presentation, and how to cure disease. Frustration from not seeing results in their patients and what have you. And again, there's a chapter in the book called The Missing Link. And it is because we as Africans have never been, at least in this country, conditioned to deal with the emotional, the psycho-emotional aspect of health. Right. And, and you know what? Let me interject right mm -hmm. there. When you talk about the emotional and psycho trauma, right? Mm -hmm. There is a gene that they just discovered that says that trauma is passed down seven generations. Yes. And we're not seven generations moved from slavery. So we're still dealing with that trauma. Yes. So again, Chinese medicine is my frame of reference. So that's what I keep talking about. But there are other systems of medicine around the world who have said the same thing. Chinese medicine is one of the better, most, you know, the most documented systems of medicine, 6,000 years of documentation about treatment. So there was this one treatment in five elements theory called the grandfather grandson treatment. The treatment is 4,000 plus years old mm -hmm. called the grandfather grandson treatment. Do you know what it's used to treat? No. The influence of traumatic experiences of the grandfather that manifest as physical conditions in the grandson. Wow. And this is a 4,000-year-old treatment. So, so Western medicine... We can use that. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> and see, the problem is, is in Western medicine, because see, in Western medicine, we see that as the, quote, science, right? But Chinese medicine has 6,000 years head start on Western medicine. Uh, Ayurvedic medicine has 6,500 6, years head start on so-called Western medicine. African holistic health, whether you are in Egypt or otherwise, has, you know, a light years head start on Western medicine. But it's Absolutely. not... It's not a it's not science until some white people in white coats get on the bandwagon with what we've always known is that trauma can 
influence the human matrix in such a way that unless see let me tell you if you if i were to stab you with a knife right now mm-hmm. you would know right away that there are some things that you need to do to heal that wound First, you need to stop the bleeding. Then you might need to get some stitches. Then you have to put some stuff on it to make sure that it doesn't get infected. There are very clear methods to dealing with a physical wound. But we do not take the same care when we suffer from acute emotional trauma. Mm. And trauma is cumulative. You have a traumatic uh, instance or situation and it doesn't go away if you don't treat it, right? And so what happens is another trauma happens and it piles on like the layer of an onion. And then another trauma happens and it piles on like a layer of an onion until finally it presents as a physical condition. The evidence of which is um, Western medicine tells us now that by the time a woman is able to palpate a tumor in her breast the size of a pea, it took 10 years for that tumor to develop. Oh, wow. On the other hand, for... 50 years, we kept ignoring, quote, soldiers that came back from Vietnam and from the Korean War when they were saying something is wrong with me. I need help. And the government kept blowing them off, kept blowing them off. 50 years later, we have post-traumatic stress disorder and tons and tons of peer-reviewed articles that talk about uh, veterans and women who were victims of rape are the you know the two primary people that they say suffer from post-traumatic stress disorder that... People who otherwise had no family history of cardiovascular disease, people who had no history of um, psychiatric disorders, people who had no family history of diabetes were were seven to ten times more likely to die of cardiac events, of uh, complications from diabetes and other conditions as a consequence of traumatic emotional trauma, unresolved emotional trauma. Now, something you said, you talked about uh, veterans. Yes. Now, we know that the police department consists primarily of military personnel yes. and veterans. Yes. So they are coming back from these war-torn yes. countries. Messed up. And they're messed up, and they're coming into our community policing. Mm-hmm. Now you have white people that are using 911 to weaponize yes. themselves against black people by using the police. And Professor Craig Carr out of um, Howard University, he says, calling the police on black people has always been a method of controlling black bodies. Yes. Now it's become a sport. Until there are consequences for the caller, it's only going to get worse. Well, you know, I, I would add to that, and that is a, a very a, an astute observation. It's a very astute observation. But I will also say this: that white people have always, especially poor white people, have always known their role within the context of the United States state apparatus. Because even as uh, even as poor white people during slavery times, during uh, the time of slavery, they functioned as an unofficial arm of the state. Absolutely. That's what they're doing now. When they call the police, they're not being white victims who are concerned about their communities. They are still functioning in the same way that they did when they were being recruited to become slave catchers or when militias. Exactly. Vigilante. Exactly. They have always or when they were freaking pioneers going out west and killing up all the Indians. They have always been an unofficial armed apparatus of the state. So yes. White women 
have always played a role, an enthusiastic role in the oppression of African people, but have always gotten a pass because they happen to be born with a vagina and they might get messed up by their husbands. Yeah, they might, their husbands might jack them in the jaw or whatever, but they still are equal and enthusiastic participants in the exploitation and oppression of non-white people. You know, the feminists ain't going to like you for that. Man, listen, ain't no white woman ever been a feminist friend of mine. All right. You heard it right here first on Necessary Blackness Podcast. And we are talking to Iyapo. And she's telling us everything that we need to know about our health. And she's breaking it down into a science that I was unaware of as of today. And I'm sure many of you was as well. So, Ayapo, before we wrap this up, right, I want you to tell everybody um, what you have going on, where they can find you at, and what's the next move. Okay, so I want to mention something really quickly around okay, the health thing. Um, so, when I talk to people about having to do the same kind of work with their emotional health that they do with a physical trauma... So people are like, well, what does that mean? And it means the same thing that, at least from my perspective, the same thing that you would do for your physical trauma. You get treatment. Acupuncture can actually help readjust the matrix, right? And when I'm talking about the matrix is I'm talking about your entire system, mind, body, spirit, Mm -hmm. right? Chinese medicine deals with all of those as an integrated whole. Herbs help to do that. Mm-hmm. To reintegrate the matrix, to resolve even, even ancestral trauma. So you might have, for example, a uh, a phobia that you cannot recall in your childhood would have caused you to be scared of heights or scared of closed spaces. And you come to find out that your bit mama was terrified of small spaces because as punishment, she was stuck in a box in a house for, you know, hours on end. Mm-hmm. But that phobia manifests in you because just like you said, they're coming to to understand that there is a gene that, well, first of all, emotional trauma causes mutative damage to the cellular DNA, to the mitochondria. It's a genotype. And so some scientists or some researchers calling it the ghost in the gene. Uh, some people are calling it, you know, post-traumatic slave disorder, whatever you want name you want to give it. Our ancestors have always been keenly aware that just as damaging as physical trauma is to the uh, to the human matrix, uh, psycho-emotional trauma is equally, if not more so, um, damaging. And law and has long-term ramifications that can spill over into into your offspring. So that's what I would encourage African people to do is within the context of living in this society that is wrought with these daily microaggressions that are really set to keep us off task. Because at the end of the day, they know that the key to overturning this system and liberating our people rests in uh, rest in the African and in the indigenous. Right. And so if we can keep them distracted enough with the little daily, you know, aggressions that they have to deal with, they'll never be organized long enough to do what needs to be done to get us out of the way. And that's a lie. Not today, (laughs) colonizer. So 
So with that being said, it's our responsibility to do what we have to do. If it means creating, you know, sister circles or brother circles, if it means, you know, seeing an acupuncturist or seeing even Reiki healers, there are many methods of traditional and ancient medicine that we can use to not only heal our physical selves, but actually begin to address the missing link, which is unresolved emotional trauma. Well, Ayapo, I want to thank you for coming through to Necessary Blackness Podcast. This is your first time. It is. Don't be a thank stranger. Thank you so much for having me. And then if anybody is interested, um, I'm still an organizer, uh, and I am willing, if anybody's interested in the uh, information around the African Sovereignty Summit and what will be coming up with that over the next year, or um, information about where I am and where I'm practicing, you can just email me at Iyapo Ngina, that's I-Y-A-P-O-N-G-I-N-A at gmail.com. Um, and you can get me on Facebook. That I respond to that pretty easily. It's Iyapo Moyende Ngina on Facebook. And I respond within 24 hours. What about Instagram? I am also on Instagram under Moyende Creations. What about Twitter? Twitter, Iyapo Moyende Ngina. Okay, now tell us about the uh, creation thing. Moyende Creations? Yeah. So um, just like every other African I know, I wear multiple hats. So I'm a doctor of oriental medicine. I have a jewelry business that I've been running since 2008 called Moyende Creations. Um, I did, I still do hair, I can't front. I've been doing hair under that same name since about 2005, Moyende Creations. Um, and I've all, I'm also a teacher. Um, I was teaching high school for about four years right out of college and, uh, and also play the saxophone. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you know what? I actually bought, uh, the necklace with, the, oh uh, yeah, the picture. dog tag. Yeah. With, uh, Asada Shakur. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I actually bought that and I wind up, um, giving it to, um, one of my home girls. I gave it to her daughter. Oh, nice. Yeah. So yeah, she, she'd be the jewelry. that. The jewelry thing has been really important um, because it's the creative outlet that we revolutionaries need. We can't be so serious and so rigid in doing liberation work that we forget that we have to live and we have to, um, you know, we have to enjoy this life that we've chosen. Um, we have to be able to stop at times and bask in the beauty of life on earth, even as we fight to liberate it. Yeah, because a lot of times we see people that just fight, fight, and you got to enjoy life. You we, can't just let it, it get Sometimes we make it really you. demoralizing, yeah. you know, and we have to, we, you know, we, we people of finesse, you know, we can make the revolutionary movement something that people, you know, are hype about and enjoy doing and doesn't, doesn't make light of the significance of the work that we're doing. And I think that this is the generation for that. I you think know so what too. I mean? Because they... These young brothers out here, they are fighting the brothers good and fight. Sisters. And sisters, absolutely. And I think, you know, as we um progress and as we um deal with this colonizer, we we still gotta be mindful. And we have to um yes. do like our great grandmaster teacher, John Henry Clark. He said we have to fight until hell freezes over and then after that we have to fight them on the ice <laughs> so that's what we're doing over here at necessary blackness podcast each fun. and every wednesday at 6 p.m and i will see you next week same time same place peace and black power family we here
Persons interested in broadcasting a commercial can reach us via email at necessaryblacknesspodcast at gmail.com. Necessary Blackness is distributed on all major podcast platforms iTunes, Stitcher, iHeart, SoundCloud, Podomatic, and Google Play. We'll also promote your business and product across our various social media networks, reaching over 100,000 people daily. Hey, what's going on, man? It's Arthur Emma Henry here. Whenever I want to get the latest on politics, social life issues facing our black community, I tune in to Necessary Blackness with Raheem Shabazz.